So we're in this series, Give What You Got. How do you give what you got? Uh, and so today I want to talk about giving the way God gives. Uh, in Matthew 10, 8, Jesus said this, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. Uh, I believe the Lord kind of planted this, this verse in my mind uh, in November sometime in my prayer time. I feel like the Lord was saying that he wanted us for this to be a year where we focused on two things, the great commission, sharing the gospel with as many people as possible, and the new commandment, which is sacrificial loving. Jesus said, love one another as I have loved you. It's like the love your neighbors yourself kind of on steroids. Uh, and by faith, to do that with sacrificial generosity and to give away this year more money than we've ever given away. And I don't know how we're going to do that yet. But I, I, I believe God's able to enable us to do it. I've just, I've just found out that in my life that when God, I feel like God tells me to do something, that it's best to always do it, to try to do it. And then he shows himself strong. He, it won't be, oh, well, aren't y'all amazing? He'll do it in a way where we'll say, isn't God amazing? Because he is. So today I want to talk about giving. And uh, because if we're going to give generously, we've freely we've received, freely we should give. Uh, and talking about giving the way God gives. As a believer, you get to choose the economy which you live in. You either live in the world economy based on scarcity, supply and demand, greed and selfishness, or God's economy, which is totally opposite, based on generosity, sacrifice, and based on His sufficiency. So Jesus tells this about money that we have to watch out for greed, and he warned us about greed. And uh, so I'm going to talk about how do we recognize greed, and how do we overcome it? How do we recognize it, and how do we overcome it? First, how do we recognize greed? Jesus talked a lot about money. We often don't think Jesus talked about money a lot, but actually he did talk about money quite a bit. He said this in Luke chapter 12. Someone in the crowd said to him, <laughs> Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. I'm telling you, there's nothing that will divide a family. It's like a couple of bucks for them to have to share with each other. It doesn't take a lot of money for there to be great conflict. It can just be grandma's jewelry or the stuff that she had that she told me that I could have. And she told, also told the other sister she could have it and told the brother he could have it. Everybody got told they could have it, and now they're wanting it. And uh, it's amazing how difficult it can be to divide up a little bit of stuff because uh, we struggle with that. Jesus said the problem with that, the, the reason you're having a problem is it's because of greed. But he said to him, man, I like this the way Jesus said that, man. <laughs> who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you? And he said to him, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So greed has many forms. 
It disguises itself. He said, be on your guard against every form of greed, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So Jesus says, uh, we need to watch out for greed. I think, uh, I think it's difficult. Jesus said you have to watch out for greed because we don't see our greed. People, it's funny because people admit adultery, pride, anger, lust, almost every form of sin, but I can't ever, ever remember anyone confessing greed. I spend too much money on myself. My greed is harming my family. We all live in a bubble of self-deception, and one of the ways we deal with that is that we compare ourselves to people who have more of the things we think we need instead of less. We're not comparing ourselves to people who have less and saying, man, I'm really blessed. We're, we have a tendency to look at people who have more and think, why don't I have that? Jesus doesn't say, be on your guard against committing adultery. It's interesting because I think when you're in bed with someone else's spouse, you don't suddenly say, wait a minute, I think this is adultery. You, you know it. You may not ever say it, but you know it. I think a thief knows he's a thief. And a liar knows he's a liar. And a fornicator knows that they're fornicating. But greed is sneaky. But we have to watch out for greed. Jesus said, watch out for greed. It's going to sneak up on you. Beware. Jesus says, watch out. Greed's going to get you. and You're not even going to realize it. Greed is believing that the quality of your life is determined by your possessions, that life is stuff. Everybody likes stuff. Everybody likes stuff? We all like stuff. But what Jesus knew about people and money is that, that the money in their pockets did not fill the emptiness in their greedy souls. That's why Jesus reached out specifically. He disproportionately saw a lot of tax collectors follow him. They were wealthy people, but they were empty in their souls. Money deceives you into believing and trusting in money and believing it can save you. But look, look at rich people around you. Does it protect them from tragedy? Does it make their marriages better? Or their kids behave better? Does it stop, can you stop death with money? Greed causes us, deceives us, it tricks us into thinking that more is better and more, with more I'll be happy. And it, it makes us, confuses us, it causes us to make a mess with money with two areas. One is with discontentment, I'm going to call it the discontentment trap, and the other is the comparison trap, two areas where greed gets us. So Jesus said, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. So we all have appetites because we like stuff. We all like stuff. I, I got quite a bit of stuff. Do you have quite a bit of stuff? Do you have a storage place to store your stuff? Because if, you know what happens if you get a storage place to store your stuff? You know what will happen? You need another one. Because Hewitt's first law is that junk multiplies to the available space. <laughs> Have you found that to be true? So, we like stuff. 
your appetites are never really fully satisfied. They can be temporarily satisfied, but never permanently. I mean, think about it. Even after you eat a big Thanksgiving meal, you know, you, you know, where you eat way too much, and you have to unbutton your pants, or you have to, or you have to put on, you know, your, your eating pants, your, <laughs> your sweatpants or something without a waistband, and you eat, and then, then you, what do you do? You go take a nap, which you say you're watching the football game, but actually you're sleeping. So you, you're sleeping watching the football game, and then eventually you wake up. What do you do? You waddle into the, the kitchen to get a snack because you're already hungry again. And you may not really be hungry, but now you're thinking, ooh, there was some of that pecan pie left, and I don't want to get it for my brother. So you meant, you know. If you move into your dream home, in a few years, you'll be driving around new neighborhoods looking at new dream homes. Or you'll be, you know, wanting to remodel your laundry room. <laughs> Too personal, right? <laughs> Somebody just told me before service they were going to remodel their laundry room. So I just thought I'd throw that in. <laughs> Our appetites create a brain chemistry that gives us an impact bias. When an appetite is stimulated, the brain magnifies it out of proportion to our other appetites. We overestimate how happy we'll be when we satisfy that particular appetite. Once appetite is engaged, your brain starts lying to you, creating rationalizations and reasons. I mean, I, I, I did this yesterday. I, I just, out of, you know, out of, <laughs> I don't know even how it started. But in a little while, I was building trucks online, different trucks. So I was comparing the GMC and the Ford and the Chevy. Because I, I looked at used trucks and thought, man. I can build a new truck for like $3,000 more than an old truck. I think I'll get build a new truck. But then I was thinking, but I don't want to spend that much for a truck. But man, look at this leather interior. Isn't this amazing? Wow. It looks so much better than my 10-year-old truck. And so you, your mind just does that. You begin to just create. And then you start you'll notice you start seeing everything that you want as you drive. You're driving, you think, ooh, ooh, I'll, you know, Tina's like, ooh, I love that new Tahoe. Ooh, so you can't have one of those. I could get my new truck before you get a new Tahoe. <laughs> but don't we do that? I mean, that's, that's how it works. So your mind becomes focused, and everything else is blurred, is subdued, and then the brain exaggerates the consequences of not getting what you desire. So the brain says, <laughs> you, when you start wanting it, the brain starts figuring out how to do it. And then discounting the consequences. In other words, you, you don't even, I mean, you think, you think, yeah. You look at that payment and you think, oh, yeah, I can do that. I, yeah. Because... And, but you think, oh, and you, you think, I think I can do it. I, but then 
You know when the worst part about payments is? It's not when you start out, it's in the middle. When it's, it's not new anymore, and you still are having to make the same payment. So the mind deceives you into thinking. So we, we, we struggle with discontentment. We always think there's this other thing <laughs> that will make us happy. Appetites aren't bad. I mean, God created us. We like new. We like better. It, it pushes us. It's not a bad thing to want things and have things. You just, you just don't want to have things that put you in debt or in bondage or in struggle. And there comes the struggle because you have to deal with the appetites that are created. You have to manage them. The appetite for new things is not going to go away for stuff or new relationships like that's going to solve something. Appetites aren't bad, but sin distorts them. Titus 2.11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. So see, it's called, it'll help me today because I talked about trucks. It'll help me leave that alone. Confession is often good for the soul. Or it'll make me lie to myself more. The other, so discontentment is real. We struggle with it. The other is the comparison trap. Where we compare, we look around and we compare ourselves to what other people have. Jesus said, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. We're tempted to measure our value based on how we perceive we are doing in comparison to the people around us. We're always looking to our left and right to see how we measure up, to see how we are doing. We want to be richer, skinnier, taller if possible. We must want to be taller. Every woman wants to be taller. Every woman in here is going to choose that lie about their height. Well, not everybody. I see tennis shoes on the front row, so let's say this. Not everyone. Taller, prettier, cooler, more handsome. We're, we, we live this comparison game. This is, this is not a new game. In 1888, a doctor had a patient that was, always, that was dying. And, uh, you know, back then, uh, leeches, electrical shock, mercury therapy uh, were common therapies of the day. So, 1888. And he, she was dying and he couldn't figure out why. So he treated her for two years. And what was happening is that she was starving herself to death. And he coined the term anorexia nervosa. 1888. You think, 1888? She, in 1888... She had anorexia because in 1888, a phenomenon taking place, the Industrial Revolution had changed things, and now they weren't making products out of need. They were, they were coming up with ideas and then selling those products. In other words, it wasn't stuff that people needed. It was stuff that they wanted people to want. So then they would create a product, then they would market that product. So at that time in, in England, there were 100,000 periodicals 
in publication, and many of those were about society and social norms. And so in those papers, it became common for a woman with the use of corsets and other things to the normal waist size for a woman was 20 inches. <laughs> and all the women went, oh, ah, he, ha, ah, you know. <laughs> so uh, 20 inches. So an hourglass figure was the ideal. If you didn't fit that ideal, you weren't the ideal woman. If you weren't able, with the aid of a corset, to suck your gut in and get it really small, then you were, so this woman was suffering. She was trying to be thin enough. You see, the problem with anorexia is you don't see yourself clearly. Even though you're very thin, you don't see yourself as thin. You see yourself as fat. There's, anorexia is, is not a problem of the body. It's a problem of the brain. It's a problem of how you think about yourself. And here's the reality. We can all have distorted thinking about ourselves. So we often need help through God's Word, by His Holy Spirit, by people who love us and care about us that will tell us the truth about ourselves. So, so we, we're always, just like this woman, we're always looking to the right left to see how we measure up, to see how we're doing. We want to be richer. You know, think about dating. Who do we date? We want someone that's prettier or more handsome, richer, smarter than us. Why do we want somebody that's richer or smarter or prettier? Because it makes us feel richer or smarter or prettier. We want to date someone that makes us feel good about ourselves. Unless you're incredibly spiritual. I mean, I can have to confess to you. 46 years ago, when I met Tina, the reason I liked her because she was gorgeous. I didn't know anything about her. I didn't know that, that she had that she loved Jesus very much. I mean, we were at a Bible school, but that doesn't mean anything. You know, it just means you're at a Bible school. It doesn't, doesn't make you a Christian to go to a Bible school. You know that, right? And so I didn't know if she loved Jesus, but I, I thought, she's gorgeous. I like that. And I was still, you know, I didn't have all my, you know, everything figured out. Still don't. But we, we often, the, the, the reason we're attracted to people is not because we're attracted to them because of how they look, but because by being with them, we know how it makes us look to other people. You know, I'm sure that people said, wow, how did he get her? And I was glad to have that. Wow, how did he get her? See, unless you're incredibly spiritually mature, which I wasn't at the time, and self-aware, you date people because of how they make you feel about yourself. You don't normally hear, yeah, he's not handsome, but he really loves Jesus, and he's spiritually mature. You know, but really, in the long run, that's what you should be going for. The fruit of the Spirit is really evident in him. I mean, what should be, you be looking for? You should be looking for character, integrity, the love, joy, peace, gentleness, meekness, kindness, patience, faithfulness, godliness. So when we often date, we end up, you think, how do you end up marrying the wrong person? Because you dated the wrong person. 
You're married. You know, we, we compare our spouses to other spouses. We want them to do better. And one of the reasons why we want them to do better is because it makes us look better. We had a couple, uh, you wouldn't know them, <laughs> nobody in this church now, okay? Uh, long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, a couple that they had read, the man had read that the normal, average couple makes love three times a week. I don't know where he read that, but you know, somebody made that up. And so they, ha they had to make love more than that a week because he didn't want to have an average marriage. I think she eventually killed him, but I'm not sure. <laughs> it didn't always work out the way we think it will. We have kids. When you have kids, it's, it's tendency, you know, to compare your kids to other kids. Uh, how are your kids, you know, kids doing compared to other kids? You know, their kids, they skipped a grade. They got a great SAT score. You're going to a great college. They got a scholarship. You're thinking, if I can just keep my kids out of jail, you know, and you're looking around at these people that it's just not seem like their kids are perfect. They do everything perfectly. They're perfect kids. They're smart kids. And, and so you... You, uh, you, you feel like a failure as a parent. So we're, we're constantly measuring ourselves with people around us to determine if we're okay. That's, that's the sin of comparison. So we compare ourselves to other people. We get our value by other people's interpretation of us instead of finding our value and getting our value in Christ. So how do we overcome this, what Jesus calls greed, that is manifest in us in discontent and comparison. How do we overcome it? First Timothy six seventeen. I'm going to use the message because uh, I think it says it really well. The message is not a direct translation; it's a paraphrase, but it's pretty true to the original. Tell those rich in this world's wealth to quit being so full of themselves and so obsessed with money, which is here today and gone tomorrow. Tell them to go after God who piles on the riches, all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich and helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. Now, Paul is writing this to Timothy. Timothy is the pastor of the church at Ephesus. It's a Gentile church. Uh, the church was growing through Asia. Uh, in, in the outside of just the Rome, the Jewish areas into uh, Gentile, uh, other nation areas it, within the nation of Rome, the, the, the empire of Rome. So they're beginning to see wealthy people that are starting to come into the church, like in Ephesus. Ephesus, I've been to Ephesus. Ephesus makes Forney or even Sunnyvale or even Highland Park pretty junky. Uh, when I visited it, it was been long abandoned about, it was abandoned about uh, 1,500 years ago because the port moved, the river moved further out into the sea, so it was no longer a port town. It became marshy and they had problems with disease, so they abandoned the city. Uh, but so Ephesus has kind of, kind of been maintained, or it's kind of been, uh, it stayed in its state, its previous glory, wasn't built over. Uh, 
So the streets, the streets of Ephesus were made out of marble. (laughs) You know, I don't know any place that has marble streets. The streets of Ephesus were made out of marble, and along along the main street, there were shops along the main street, and all along the main way was uh, marble columns, colonnade, a marble colonnade lining, I mean, just an opulent city. At the end of that main road is, was an ancient library that was carved out of solid stone. It's gorgeous. Paul preached at the amphitheater, amphitheater in Ephesus that would hold, there was an amphitheater, it's still there, it'll hold about 25,000 people, amphitheater. They had one of the wonders of the world at the time, they had the temple to Diana uh, that that they worshipped. So it was opulent. He says, so Paul is telling Timothy, hey listen, tell those rich people they need to be careful with their money. Jesus told us to beware of greed. These people need to be careful about how they're going to deal with their riches. Tell them to go after God. Uh, who piles on the riches, to be generous, to be ready to share. He says, so tell those rich people. Who's the rich people? Who are the rich people? You are. You know that, right? You're, You're the rich people. When people are asked who is rich, they tend to see people who, who make twice as much as they do. So if you make 50,000, you say, who's rich? They say, people who make 100,000. If you make 100,000, you say, who's rich? You say, people make 200,000. In other words, we always see people rich. We're not rich. They're rich. Right? So we, we have a distorted view of ourselves. In, in the United States, the poverty level for a family of four is $26,500. That's supposed to be today. It'll probably be 27000 tomorrow. It's moving quick. Uh, if you make 26500 which is at the poverty level for a family of four, you are in the top 2.49% earners in the world. That means that you make more than 97% of the people in the world. So that 97% would look you at you at 26500 at the poverty level, and that 97% would say, you're rich, right? Wouldn't they say that? If you, if you make 300000 you're in the top 1%, 1.2% of the world. If you make 100000 you're in the top 0.8%. That means you make more than 99.2% of the world if you make more than 100000 If you make minimum wage and work 40 hours a week at minimum wage being 7.25, right? Is that right? You make 15000 a year, uh, <laughs> which puts you in the top 8%. But if you work a minimum wage job and they're only going to work you 30 hours, they're not going to let you work full time because they want to give you benefits. So they're going to keep you at 30 hours and keep you poor. Uh, $11,000 a year, you're still in the 15%, top 15%. If you make 11000 a year, you're still in the top 15% of earners in the world. Now, this makes sense. This is why people are willing to climb fences and risk their life to get here. 
and we don't have we don't we don't have that perspective. It doesn't you know it's like I I, I don't know I, I I'm not a proponent of illegal immigration. I'm I think we need to allow people to legally migrate. We need to be able to manage it. We're not managing well. I think we need to have borders. I'm not trying to be political here, but I got into it. Sorry, stepped off into it, didn't I? <laughs> uh, but we, we need to be compassionate to everyone. Our, our, our job is, we have to be compassionate. We have to be. We're commanded to be. To compassionate to everyone we end up having to deal with. We need to be compassionate and loving to those people. And in some way, show them the love of Christ. As the body of Christ, we need to be able to do that. But you can see, if, if, if you're in Central South America, or really Africa, or so many other places in the world, and you see America, and you think, I can... I can go and work at a 7-Eleven and make $7.25 an hour, and I will be making 100 times what I would make at home. It's hard to resist that. Wouldn't you think? I'm not, I'm not trying to make a political statement. I'm just trying to talk about how rich you are. I want you to get a hold of it. I want you to understand. I want you to get a hold of how rich you are. You're wealthy. God has blessed you. You live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world at one of the wealthiest times in history with resources that are available to us with such ease. It is incredible. The fact that, I mean, I mean, we just had a couple of days last year where we didn't have electricity. And it scared us to death. There's people who live like that every day. They don't know. They can't depend on it. So we're blessed. I just want you to know you're blessed because, because that helps you deal with the fact that how are we going to deal with greed? So he says, tell the rich. Who is the rich? It's us. He says, so what does he tell us? He says, tell them to not, to, not to go after money, but to go after God. Tell them don't... I mean, we're chasing money. He says, chase God instead. You're, you're only ever going to find your fullness in Christ by letting him establish your value so that you are not discontent or being, living in comparison all the time. The only cure for discontent in comparison is to realize who you are in Christ and how he values you, and what he's accomplished on your behalf, and how rich he has made you, not in monetary, but in spiritual things, that he has blessed you eternally. And when you get a hold of that, it becomes a foundation where you don't so desperately need the approval of people, so you don't have to live in the right place, or drive the right place, or have the right things, so that you feel like you have value. It's established in Christ. It's, it's the only thing that will cure it. And then he says that we need to be extravagantly generous. Tell them to go after God who piles on all the riches we could ever manage to do good, to be rich in helping others, to be extravagantly generous. If they do that, they'll build a treasury that will last, gaining life that is truly life. How, how, do, you, how, do, you, how do you give... And be extravagantly generous. 
Well, one is that you have to give something. I mean, you need to be given something. Something. You don't need to be giving it all to the church. Wait. Did he say that? No, there are, there, are, there are, you need to find places where you can invest money and give generously. Find causes that you believe in and be generous because you're rich. That's one of the things we're trying to do as a church. We want to be generous. God's blessed us. We want to be a blessing. And so our goal this year is we're going to try to give away more money than we've ever given to those things to, to show the love of Christ, help people in need, to to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people, to be extravagantly generous. Jesus described it like this, Luke chapter 21, verse 1. And he looked and saw, he looked up and saw, so Jesus is watching what people are putting in the offering. He's going to come and do that today too, later on, just want you to know. (laughs) It might change it a little bit, right? Jesus is watching, only if you live out of fear, not out of relationship. And he looked up and saw the rich putting in their gifts into the treasury. So we, we, know, that what, that we know what the tendency was, that, that they, they did it in such a way so people would know that they were giving a lot. In other words, they were giving lots, and they want people to know they were giving a lot. And so they made a show of it. They made a show of their giving. I mean, how would you know? So they walked up, it's public, and they're like, look, look what I'm giving. I'm giving a lot. And so he saw a poor widow putting in two small copper coins. And he said, to, truly I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all of them. Wait, she put in more? Why? For they all out of their surplus put it into the offering, but she, out of her poverty, put in all that she had to live on. She gave sacrificially and by faith. Where she couldn't afford to give? (laughs) Why? Because that was her living. We have to give we need to learn to give sacrificially where it hurts. Where we say, oh, I can't afford to do this, but I, I believe it's what God wants me to do. Not because I want you to do it, but because God wants us to do it. That we live generously. Extravagant generosity. Are you aware of the potential for greed in your own soul? Are you trusting in your possessions? Do you find your value and approval in your possessions? Does money cause you to worry? Are you being now, with what you have, extremely, extravagantly generous? Some of you are. You're amazing. You're amazingly generous. It's incredible. God just wants us all to be that way. He wants us all to live extravagantly generous. 
because we're rich. And he's given us something to give away. Don't look at the people that have more than you and think, I'm not rich. Look at the people that have less than you and think, thank you, Lord, for the undeserved blessings you have piled into my life. You've made me rich. Lord, help us in a selfish, greedy age to be generous because God is so generous with us. Amen? Let's stand and pray. Thank you, Lord. When we talk about money, Lord, we all get a little uncomfortable. It's a little too personal. We kind of feel like it's none of your business. But Lord, it is your business. Because everything that I have is yours. Everything that I have belongs to you. Everything that I have comes from your hand. Every blessing that has flowed into my life has come into my life because of you. You've been so good and so faithful to me, God. Lord, help me. Help us. Help us to be aware of the trap of greed. Help us to be aware how easy it is to be greedy and selfish and how hard it is to give away what you've given us to give away, to be generous and to do good and to share. Lord, help us break free of the greed of our culture and have the compassion of the kingdom in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I love you. Have a great week.